Philippians chapter 1, beginning at the first verse, this is God's holy word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. As Mark Lockridge preached on Wednesday afternoon from Psalm 17 in the last part of that psalm, we heard about the certainty that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ may have in this life and for the life to come. The great blessing and comfort of being able to be certain about something because of what God has said and what God has done in Jesus Christ. And a beautiful parallel to that note of certainty in the end of Psalm 17 is found here in Philippians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 6, I am sure of this, it says in the ESV. Many English translations have it, being confident of this very thing. Something in particular that Paul is taking note of, but he notes it with confidence. The website Life Hacker has an article beginning with this statement. Have confidence. It is one of the most essential pieces of advice you'll receive in life. Obviously, the people behind that website are confident that what we need in life is confidence. And this is what Paul brings to mind in Philippians 1, verse 6. The apostle speaks of his confidence concerning the church in Philippi. But what did Paul mean when he mentions his confidence, being sure of this very thing? And as we think about that word and that idea of confidence, and as you hear that this evening, are you a confident person? 
Is that a way that you would describe yourself? What can you be confident about in your own life? We hear confidence in all areas of life and the world around us. July 15, 1979, American President Jimmy Carter gave a famous speech. It's called the Crisis of Confidence Speech. It was in the days of the energy crisis, but he referred to a crisis of confidence and he addressed the American people and tried to encourage them by saying, we have to have confidence in the future. We have to have confidence in progress. Confidence in the citizens of America, the rulers and shaker, the shapers of democracy. Faith in each other. Faith in our ability to govern ourselves. Faith in our nation. He urged a need for a rebirth of faith in the American spirit in order to address what he saw as a crisis of confidence. But our confidence is not in the political system or the politicians, the princes over us. Many people have confidence and absolute confidence in science, quote-unquote. I'm very interested to see uh, the images captured by the James Webb Space Telescope. Uh, some of them, though, have been quite upsetting to astronomers. One writes, the revelation that massive galaxy formation began extremely early in the history of the universe upends what many of us had thought was settled science. It turns out we found something so unexpected, it actually creates problems for science. It calls the whole picture of early galaxy formation into question. Absolute confidence in science? I read a headline yesterday, Rishi Sunak. Confidence is returning to the UK because the GDP exceeded the forecast. Confidence in the economy? Where is your confidence? What confidence do you have in terms, not only of your own life, but of the church here? at Trinity or the church in Northern Ireland or the church in the world? Is our confidence as Christians just the same as the world's confidence? Is it the confidence of Julie Andrews singing in the sound of music? I have confidence in confidence alone. Besides which you see, I have confidence in me. Do we listen to the Canadian counseling therapist, Glynis Sherwood, who has written about what she calls sudden loss of confidence syndrome? She explains that, quote, a crisis of confidence means you have stopped believing in yourself. That's the way the world is dealing with confidence and lacking it and how to regain it. Believing in yourself seems like a given today. It's offered as self-evident encouragement. 
But really not that long ago in 1908, G.K. Chesterton said that the men who really believe in themselves are all in lunatic asylums. The Bible doesn't ignore or reject the issue of confidence. But in the Bible, God exposes false confidence and explains Christian confidence. Because there is a real confidence by God's grace to be had by believers. The Bible tells us that our confidence must have a very different foundation from the world in order for it to be true confidence. Psalm 71 verse 5 For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Jeremiah 17.7 But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. It is that kind of confidence that the Apostle Paul had. In Philippians 2 verse 4, he says he was confident in the Lord. And that genuine Christian confidence is seen, especially here, right at the beginning of the letter in Philippians 1, verse 6. Paul begins with thanks to God for the congregation. He was obviously thankful for their fellowship and partnership in the gospel. But he had a confidence concerning them. He thought of the believers and the congregation there in Philippi, and he's confident with regard to the church. You may think, was Paul being naive? Blindly optimistic? Was he ignoring the men that he would speak about in Philippians chapter 3, the evil men who were preaching a false gospel of works righteousness? Was he forgetting about those who were secular and sensual in their thinking. Again in chapter 3, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, their mind is on earthly things. Had he momentarily forgot about Euodia and Syntyche in chapter 4? Sisters in the Lord who are fighting with each other? Are these the people that he's confident about? Didn't he know about disappointments that arise in the church? Had he never experienced defections and desertions, people leaving the church for less than good reasons? Had he not been in the church long enough to see how Christians suffer and how much pain fills people's lives? How can he be so confident? Well, Paul's thanksgiving and his joy were not misplaced when he thinks of the church of Christ and the Christians in it. And that is because Paul's thanks are to God and because of God. Paul says, I am thankful, I can rejoice. How? Why? He gives the answer. Being confident 
or being sure of this, as it says in our translation. The word literally means being persuaded based upon the truth of God's word. Being confident of this very thing. And here's our text. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's hope and confidence were not in the Philippians themselves. It was not in himself. It was in God. God begins the good work in his people and he sees it through. We can be helped to see this when we remember that our English word confidence comes from the Latin word for faith. The F-I-D root of confidence. We perhaps know more the, the uh, Reformation anthem, sola fide. Faith alone. Justification by faith alone. So confidence literally means with faith. We know that we should not put our faith in princes. Psalm 146, in mortal men who cannot save. And that includes ourselves. We are to believe and trust only in the triune God. To have faith in Him. And faith particularly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confidence arises out of faith in God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so specifically from verse 6 this evening, Christian confidence is confidence first in the grace of God. And then secondly, in the character of God. And lastly, in the plan of God. And we see those three things here. If we look carefully, the words of our text. First, confidence in the grace of God. Where do we see this? When Paul says, being confident of this very thing, he who began a good work in you. Before we come to the promise of the completion of our salvation, we must think a lot and often about the beginning of it. God began the good work in his people. But who were they when he began that work? Paul wrote to the Corinthians that in their case, there were not many wise or influential or noble. And that's often true. But the reality for every Christian is even more humbling. Paul in Romans proclaimed that while we were still sinners or enemies of God, Christ died for us. Beloved, pure, pure grace stands at the beginning of our salvation. We were once dead in sin like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath, but God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Yes, we repent, we believe, we exercise faith in Christ, but we remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that none may boast. Pure, undeserved, unmerited, even demerited favor and grace. There was nothing in us but sin for God to see. Yet he began a good work. 
This is so humbling. But it's also so encouraging. Grace is encouraging because it has seen you at your worst and still God began the good work. Just think of it in your own lives. Don't the people who have seen you at your worst, whoever that is in your life, I know who it is in mine. And she still loves me. Who is it that's seen you at your worst and still loves you? Beloved, God saw the Philippians and he sees his people as utterly defiled and completely helpless and still he began the good work. I was reading this past week the biography of Jack Miller, who used to be a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And he became well known for saying to people, cheer up, you're much worse than you think you are. And then he would say, cheer up, God's grace is so much more amazing than you ever imagined. As we think about the beginning, when God began a good work in us, The Dutch theologian Gerhardus Voss once said something that sounds strange when you first hear it, but it is marvelously true as we think about the beginning of God working in us and his love and his grace. When he said the best proof that God will never cease to love us lies in that he never began. Jeremiah 31.3, he has loved you with an everlasting love. Children, I wonder if you could even imagine a situation where your parents would start to love you the first time you did really well on an exam. Or that they would start to love you the first time you scored a goal in football. Or that they would start to love you when you performed flawlessly at a music concert. You think that they would wait to love you until you do those things? Or have they always loved you? I hope you know the answer to that. But in a much greater way, in a way that only God could do because only God is eternal, he has loved you with an everlasting love, he says to his chosen ones, his elect. Elect from all eternity, loved from all eternity. And out of that love, he begins a good work in those who are utterly unworthy. He begins a work of grace. So if God's grace met you right there at the beginning, here's the implication. There is no reason to ever believe His grace won't see you through. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved by His life? was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace will lead me home. You can be confident with Paul 
in the saving grace of God. And secondly, Paul had confidence, we see, in the character of God. He who began the good work in you, what's the next phrase? Will bring it to completion. God will do what he says he will do. He is sovereign and powerful and faithful and true. All of his holy being and character back up his promise. Do you see that the character and reputation of God himself is at stake in the salvation of the church? We often don't finish what we start. We lose interest. We run out of time. We lack resources or ability. But are any of those limitations for God? And we are His work. His workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isaiah 64.8 says, But now, O Lord, You are our Father, we are the clay, You are our potter, and we are the work of your hand. God finishes his work. Jesus put it this way in John 10, in a similar vein, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Paul had confidence in the character of God. A young Scottish minister was once called to the, death, to the deathbed of an elderly peasant woman. And on that occasion, her minister asked her, what if after all you're praying and trusting your, your soul should be lost forever? And she humbly and wisely replied, I can only say, sir, that God would lose more than I would. Poor old nanny would only lose her soul, which would be a sad loss. But God would lose his character, and the whole world would go to ruin. God writes no unfinished symphonies. He never loses interest in his people. He never runs out of time. He never depletes the resources of his grace. He is never incapacitated as to his ability. Calvin said, God is not like men who are wearied or exhausted by doing good. Remember what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1.12, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded. That's the same word as confident here in Philippians 1.6. I am confident that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Beloved, you with Paul can have confidence in the unchanging character of God. But thirdly and lastly, Paul had confidence in the plan of God. I am sure of this, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And then the last section, at the day... Of Jesus Christ. 
The mention of the last great day teaches us and reminds us that God has a plan that he is working out. A perfect plan from all eternity to redeem a people in Christ as his inheritance to the praise of his glorious grace. Jesus said, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's the unbreakable chain of salvation in Romans 8.30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Confidence in the plan of God. When Jesus first came to this world, he came as the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, to live a spotless life and to then die a sacrifice on the cross for his people. He did everything necessary for sinners to be reconciled to God and God to them. And you remember after the three hours of darkness, he said, it is finished. The penalty of the guilt of his church was paid in full. And one day, according to that same plan of God, the resurrected Jesus, who accomplished redemption at the cross, who is now raised from the dead and applying redemption by his spirit to his people, will conquer all his and our enemies, and he will present his bride, the church, to the Father. And on that day as well, can't we imagine him saying, it is finished. It is finished. The plan of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. The trials come and challenge our faith. But by God's grace, a Christian is enabled to have great confidence in God, the grace of God and the plan of God, the promises of God. Beloved, as you worship and serve and live as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ here in Northern Ireland, you can be confident that Jesus will build his church as you look to God's grace and God's character and God's plan in him. But let me ask you more personally tonight. Has God begun the good work of salvation in you? Do you have faith in Christ? Repentance toward God? Do you have an honest desire to live a holy life? 
Is there a heartfelt love to God and neighbor in your relationships? Without the good work of God's grace and spirit in Christ in us, we could only ever have sinful dead works. I wonder tonight if there are any here who are still sinfully self-confident. Spiritual self-confidence paves the road to hell. Later in this letter, Paul would write, For it is we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. None. We heard this morning, even to a believer, the warning of overestimating our own strength. But this is the divide between the saved and the lost, isn't it? Self-confidence or Christ-confidence. Faith in ourselves somehow or some way. Or faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in three, chapter 3, verse 4, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, his religious life, his supposed good works, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. But then he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. Beloved, God calls you and me tonight to confide in Christ, to have confidence in Jesus, to be for you what he is for all his people, the only Savior and the Sovereign Lord, so that even in this life you may have a true confidence. 1 John 2.28, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If that good work has been begun in you by God's Spirit. If the work of the gospel has been begun in you as a congregation, we should have the gratitude, the joy, the confidence that God will see it through. I don't know if it's true here. We often speak of congregations as works in Canada. Do you do that here? The work in Russell. The work in Toronto. Whose work? Whose work? I think we too, too much, too quickly, too often, and sometimes almost exclusively think of what we're doing. The preaching, the teaching, the serving, 
the witnessing, the mercy, all good things. That's not the most important work, is it? It is work, but over and above any of your work or any of my work, pray that the work begun here would be the good work of God, begun and carried on by Him. And when it is with Paul, I can say to you on the authority of the Word of God, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Beloved, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come to your throne of grace in the name of the only mediator, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we thank you that it is at that throne, that sovereign throne, that we do find grace and mercy and help in a time of need. We thank you that you minister to your people by your word and spirit, and we pray that your word would have come to you, your people tonight with comfort and encouragement as we look away from ourselves and those around us, as we lift up our eyes to the one whose throne is in heaven, as we have our thoughts on things above where Christ is, now resurrected, ascended, and seated at your right hand, sovereignly ruling and saving his people as he builds his church. Father, we thank you for the blessing of a confidence that we can be sure of something in this life if our confidence is in you and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the word that you have given to us, which all speaks of him. And Father, we pray that we ourselves would know that good work that you work in your people, your chosen ones from all eternity whom you have loved. And we pray, Father, for those that we love who are yet outside of Christ. We pray that in grace and mercy, Father, you would begin the good work in them. We think of Paul, who said that he would would be damned if his people, according to the flesh, could be saved. And we, we feel some of that, Father. We don't feel it as we should for the lost. But we pray that you'd be merciful, Father. You are the God who can take out a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Nothing is too hard for you. And so, Father, where sin abounds, may grace abound much more. And we pray, Father, that we would go from this place and go forth in the Christian life in true confidence, in humble reliance upon your grace and spirit in Jesus Christ. And Father, as we do that, as we rely completely upon the work that you do in your people, we pray that you would empower and enable us to put our hand to the good works that you have uh, created in advance for us to do. Lord, and there are many good things for us to think 
and to say and to do. We pray, Father, that our lives would be abounding in good work. Again, to the praise of your glory and grace. Father, we pray that the word would have found good soil in our hearts tonight and bring forth so much good fruit. Help us to abide in Christ and abide in his word as we go now with your benediction upon your people. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit of God be upon all of God's people now and forevermore. Amen and amen.